goes on, but uh, I want to make sure we leave lots of time for an open, frank discussion at the end, so uh, I want to keep my promise. So let's all begin by, by uh, having a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, Lord, Thou dost know our hearts, Lord, Thou dost know our need for revival, Lord, that it's a matter of survival, perhaps, not only for our us individually, but for our denomination. And Father, we, we pray, Lord, that during this forum we could, could have our hearts open and we could pray with David that search me, O Lord, and try, my, try all my ways, my hearts, my motives. And Lord, that at the end we can see ourselves and know where thou wouldst have us go and how thou wouldst have us change. Father, we pray for a clear communication, Lord, that thy spirit could work effectively. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, hopefully this will work. Hooray. Um... I guess the, the title, Are You an Evangelical, was just kind of uh, to get your, your interest a little bit this morning. Thank you for shedding some light on, on us all. Um, the, the real thing what we want to talk about this morning is, is who we are as apostolic Christians. And, and we want to see where do we fit in the flow of, of Christianity and how is that flow affecting us and, and are we happy with that? And, and where do we want to go from here? Um, <clears throat> another way, another model of, of, of thinking about this question is uh, children, when they're growing up, they think they're the center of the universe and life revolves around them. But as they get older, they realize there's other people in the world, especially they get into adolescence. There, there starts to be some insecurity there. Now there's, there's other people. How do I relate to them? And... Uh, there's different ways they could react to that. Some may become blind followers of, of, of their peers. Others may be fearful and withdraw and go into isolation. But really the mature response is, is to, to know who you are, to be comfortable with that, and to be able to relate confidently with others. And, and that's kind of where we as, as, as a church are at right now in, in historical. If you think about it, in the past we've been kind of isolated We've had uh, firmly established patterns of, of biblical separation from other spiritual influences. We've had this uniformity of doctrine. We've had persecution. We've had isolation in terms of geography and, and, and jobs and so on. But today, things are different. There's, there's an urban, affluent, educated generation. We've got the information age going, and we just can't avoid being very aware of all the other faiths out there. And so now we have to ask ourselves this question, who, who am I? And how do I relate to all these other branches of faith? And, and you know, what are my strengths and weaknesses? And can we or, and, or should I avoid being caught up in the, the current trends of Christianity, the new evangelical movement? The, usually you put your bibliography at the end, but like I said, my end is going to be a blank sheet because I don't want us looking up there. I want us talking together and having an honest heart-to-heart discussion about where we want to go from here. So I just want to let you know some of the ideas, the material I've got from Sister Church publication, uh, uh, The Winds of Doctrine. I've got some copies if anyone's interested. A paper by Brother Mark Igich, um, and uh, called Fraternization Revisited. Uh, an excellent book that I would recommend, uh, Will the Real Heretics Please Stand Up by David Burkott. Um, his, his idea is that you have a a scripture, you, we, there's a scripture, you interpret it this way, I interpret it that way. How do we know whose interpretation is right? Well, if we go back to the very first Christians, the ones who got the other 90% of, of the apostles' instruction, which was oral rather than written, who actually, who's, for whom Greek was their native language, who lived in the Mediterranean culture, who all these things, they were in a much better position to interpret the Word of God. And so let's see how they lived and practiced. And he came to some rather surprising conclusions that it wasn't the way he uh, believed as an evangelical, and he had the integrity uh, to continue to write the book. And uh, I think it, it's, it's very eye-opening for all of us. 
a few websites. Um, the Sister Church has a website where they kind of go through all their beliefs, and they also kind of show, you know, where, where say, the Catholics or conservative Protestants, uh, uh, where, where other people kind of stand on, on the, our different uh, points of belief um, and some history. So just some reference for those who are interested. <clears throat> okay, we are going to be talking about... Uh, about as we talk through the history of Christianity, we're going to be talking about other Christians. And I just want to make something very plain up front. This is not about other Christians as individuals. I'm sure in every single faith that I'm going to discuss here that you will find Christians who are more vibrant, uh, closer to God, uh, better Christians than I am. So I'm not talking about individuals. And uh, this is talking about the spirit. We want to, we want to, as the Bible says, try the spirits, because we know there are, there are false prophets out there. We want to see what is the spirit of this movement. What is, what is kind of, a, as, uh, as Jesus told John, you know not what spirit you are of, and, and try to get it to that level. So we're not talking about people, individuals. Um, one thing you're going to notice as we kind of go through this very brief overview of our Christian historical context is that people tend to there's there's a a law of physics that actually applies to theology. Uh, Newton says that uh, there's the the law of action reaction is that you know you take a balloon and uh, if it's full of air and it's pushing air this way the balloon actually moves the other way. There's a for every action there's a reaction is is what he said and uh, that actually applies to theology as well because. Because you'll notice that uh, you've got uh, you know some position of that's true, and and somebody starts deviating, and for every heretic that kind of goes in one direction, you've got some well-meaning, well-intentioned defender of the faith that goes to an equal opposite extreme, and that's the reactivity that we see has caused a lot of the errors in the past, and we need to guard against even ourselves. Um, so. Let's go through this kind of quick overview of history, and it is an overview. There's lots of interesting detail I'd love to discuss with you, but I don't think many of you would be interested about Donatists, Montanists, and, and lots of wonderful uh, times when God has raised up people from a dead and dry uh, religion, uh, uh, religious environment and uh, where the Spirit of God has worked, but we won't have time to go through all that. So at a very high view... Um, obviously, our, our foundation is Jesus Christ and Him crucified and His life and resurrection. And uh, that's where the, the truth was initially uh, proclaimed. And uh, in the initial uh, centuries, um, there was a time, uh, initial persecution by the Jews and then severe persecution by the Romans where those who were insincere had no motivation to, to join the Christian church. And it was more or less... Uh, Intact, although we know they had their struggles even in biblical times. Um, no, oh, is there obstruction here? Thank you. Um, am, can, can you hear me? Good. Uh, I know I have a tendency to mumble, so I'll try to be a little more clear. Um, then uh, the, the major change in, in 83, 312, Constantine conquered Rome in, in the sign of the cross. And he didn't make uh, Christianity the official religion, but because he became a Christian, he started to support Christ Christians. It was kind of a, uh, the first time there was paid ministers uh, that he, he wanted to support the bishops. He paid them out of church funds. He wanted to, to make sure that he quelled you know heresy and he headed uh, presided over councils uh, of churches, and uh, the, things started to change. And, you know, the, the, it was as if you have this, you know, shy teenage girl coming out and finding out she, there's someone attracted to her. You know, the, the church has been persecuted, and finally the world has stopped hurting them and is, is actually interested in being friends with them, and, and they kind of reciprocate. And uh, it became socially advantageous to be a Christian. You'd get promoted. He liked Christian advisors. And so, within a short amount of time, up to that time, that was 300 years, only 10% of the Roman Empire had converted to Christianity. And within the next 100 years, the other 
all became Christian. And so we have to wonder, you know, what depth of commitment and sincerity was there, and especially when we see a lot of the, um, the things that, that came in, um, pagan things that just got Christian labels. And one of the things was uh, using the world's method to silence her- heretics. You know, within a very short amount of time, they felt uh, rather than to teach the truth, and as, as the Word of God says, you know, to, to try to ad- ad- um, instruct those in meekness who impose themselves, and if not, to separate from them, they felt they needed to use the sword, to use the might of Rome to, to quell, uh, quench any heresy. And so we're starting to use the persecuted become the persecutors. They seem to have a very short-term memory there. And you'll notice that the change, the shift from operating like Christ did in a position of weakness and sacrifice to, to win through truth and love to using the position of privilege and power to impose uh, our, our faith on others. And that, and that spirit... I want you to discern that spirit as that spirit is still present in modern Christianity. Okay? That's the spirit of trying to impose through, through secular power our worldview. Um, the Catholics uh, began to teach that, that whatever the, they felt that they, could, that they were inspired to say was at equal weight with the Bible. And so as a result... Certain doctrines came in, and, and you're familiar with some of the obvious ones that have been pointed out before, the worship of Mary and purgatory, etc., that came in hundreds of years afterwards. But one that you may not be so familiar with, there was a, a man named Augustine of Hippo. He was a very uh, eloquent man, an orator, and when he became converted to Christianity, he, he wrote and, and spoke extensively, and, and he was a well-meaning defender of the faith, and he reacted to certain heresies of the time and went to equal and opposite extremes. And so certain doctrines came in at that time. I mean, that's, that's when this thing about war being holy and, and, and having the right to use force to, to, for, for, uh, for God's purposes. Uh, about unbaptized infants being damned, therefore, you know, why we need to come up with infant baptism. Um, the, the early church, before that, Understood that God, you know, saw them as innocent and that, and that He would judge them differently. Um, that's when, and this is this is an interesting part because this relates to the doctrinal debates we have even in some circles in in our church now, unfortunately, of predestination. This is when it started, where he there was a, a monk, Pelagius, that um, you know was overemphasizing works not emphasizing grace, and so he thought he needed to defend God's sovereignty and defend the fact that this is a free gift, and he went to an, opposite, an extreme of saying that as a result of the fall, man is totally depraved and is unable to do anything good. He's not even able to believe in God, and uh, therefore only God, by God's grace, can they believe, and therefore God's decision to save one or to damn other is totally God's prerogative. He says, you're damned, you're saved, and there's nothing we can really, we, our, our will has anything to do about that. That's where that, that doctrine originated. Um, <clears throat> we're going to jump, big uh, leap here, to where there was a, a, a reaction to some of the, the, the excesses of, uh, of Catholicism, which had gone even, even more decadent by that time. And... Um, one man who, who stood up and was very brave to, to counter the errors, his name was Luther, and uh, he came back uh, to saying rather than the church having the right to come up with doctrine uh, that's equal weight of the Bible, it's only scripture uh, we should go by. <clears throat> um, but he did make some compromises, and he felt uh, that in order to, to defend himself against the, the Roman backlash, he needed to, to have the German dukes. He needed to have state support. And his vision was still um, that of a, of a state-imposed religion of, of Christianity. And uh, therefore, we still had um, the use of force to impose uh, our, our, our version of, of, of truth. I mean, a lot of the errors of... For- he was an Augustinian monk, so he brought with him a lot of the errors of 4th century Augustine. Um, now, at the, around the same time, 
there were others who were called radical reformers. Radical in that they went back to the root, back to early Christianity, and, uh, and trying to follow the simple word of God. They wanted to live the Sermon on the, on the Mount. And that was their kind of criteria. Am I blocking people here? I'll, I'll back in the corner here a little bit. Um, and so they, they believed, and, and notice a different spirit than Luther, even though they're both seeing the error in, in, in Cathedral, and they believed in taking up the cross and, and, and denying yourself and, and committing yourself even to each other in a sense of community. And um, it, it's, it's ironic that uh, because they believed it wasn't a matter of just believing the right things, but a matter of actually doing them, performing them being a requirement, um, that uh, when, when they were hunting for the heretics, the Anabaptists, if you were too clean and didn't drink and smoke and, and, and too good-hearted, you might be an Anabaptist and you would be singled out for persecution. It's a bit ironic. Um, and, and one thing I really want to point out here is the sense of community that they had. This is, this is Menno Simon's response to, to Luther here, uh, Lutherans. He says, and I'd like to, to read this, we teach and practice um, this mercy, love, and community. We have taught and practiced it for 17 years. God be thanked forever that although our property is to a great extent been taken away from us and is still daily taken, and many a righteous father and mother are put to the sword or fire, and although we are allowed, not allowed the free enjoyment of our homes as manifest, yet none of those who have joined us nor any of their orphan children have been forced to beg. If this is not Christian practice, then we might as well abandon the whole gospel of our Lord. Is it not sad and intolerable hypocrisy that these poor people, the Lutherans, boast of having the word of God, of being the true Christian church, never remembering that they've entirely lost their sign of true Christianity? Uh, although many of them have plenty of everything, go about in silk and velvet, gold and silver, and all manner of pomp and splendor, they allow many of their own poor and afflicted members to ask for alms. They force the poor, the hungry, the suffering, the elderly, the lame, the blind, and the sick to beg for bread at their doors. O preachers, dear preachers, where is the power of the gospel you preach? Where are the fruits of the Spirit you receive? Oops. Oh, too far. One more time. Um, I guess you shouldn't when things are working, I'll break them. Okay. Um, so the Anabaptists really felt, had this fire, and, and they were not an introverted, reactionary, isolated group of people, as they may have become over time. And they, they were actually very evangelistic and went out and preached the gospel, and there was a fervor of spirit a, a, a among them. Um, another point that we usually don't bring up in, uh, in, as we go through, through history is is uh, American history. And that's, that's where, I mean, with all this material I'm sure you've seen before, but I want to, what's new is, is focusing on the history here in America and how it's going to be influencing us today. Uh, and that, that kind of started in 1620, the pilgrims landing at the rock. And you'll notice the pilgrims were fleeing religious persecution. They were known as independents. And um, they established a country based on democratic principles. And, uh, you, know, you know, am I saying that there's anything wrong with that? I mean, if I were to speak against democracy, uh, maybe in the past I'd be uh, labeled as a communist. Today I'm going to be a terrorist. Uh, but uh, let, let me, let me uh, ex explain why there might be some reservation about that. I mean, democracy may be a fine form of government because it, uh, it's a little more realistic about the corrupt human nature of man and the need for some accountability to hopefully a moral uh, uh, constituency. But, but it's not what, uh, what a church should be based on because the church is headed not by a corrupt leader but by God himself. And so we have a, a theocracy where we need to follow, follow God and it's not a matter of putting things to the vote. But you see, this spirit of individualism, the spirit of autonomy, the spirit of independence may have become, may have begun here. And then uh, um, something that really 
really, although it was called the Age of Enlightenment, as far as uh, faith became the Age of Darkening, the, the period of Enlightenment was when, when people discovered their, 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 the power of their human reason, and they, their belief in human reason means they could throw off the shackles of traditions. You know, obviously traditions were very corrupt in, in, in the state churches, be they Catholic or Lutheran or whatever. And so they wanted to throw those off and become free to follow their own human reason. And um, in that time frame, we have Darwin's theory of evolution, and we know what that's done to, to biology. Well, there is another theory of Bible interpretation that the same ramifications to, to people's faith. And that was the school of higher criticism. The, the idea that um, the Bible is not inspired by God. It is uh, written by men. And therefore, we need to apply all the, our human reasoning and, and, and interpretation skills and, 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 and analyze styles and figure out who wrote what for what reason and what's really behind it. And we can get higher and you know, we can write theses and add to the to the Bible, and, and, and through that process of, of our own human reason taking precedence of the Scripture, and the Scripture not being absolute, um, you know, God became very left behind, and, and even, you know, to the point where God is dead. And, and this, this infected, of course, the, the, the theological circles, the state churches, even the, the modern churches today, are still have that spirit in them. Your, 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 your major... Uh, you know, Episcopalian, Lutheran, um, uh, even the Methodists, though they began with, with a fire and revival and, and, and beginning similar to us, they, their theological circus have also been infected by this. And um, they, there was then a reaction to this. Those who, who wanted to, to dig in their heels and to, to hang on, to the word of God as being absolute. And uh, we might say, hooray, good. You know, someone is standing up for truth. And, um, and certainly their beliefs in, in the inerrant scriptures, their beliefs in Jesus and the miracles being true and God be having supernatural power and in there being a death and resurrection and, and, and being willing to stand up for their faith and being conservative and holding to um, you know, how that would apply to dress and so on. Those are all laudable. But it was a reaction. And, and the problem with a reaction is that there's a loss of, of, of a vision and, and your focus in a reaction is on the enemy. And the Bible says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers. And when we see people as our enemy and that we need to use force to get those people back in line, we lose the sight of the, the right spirit. And so there was, uh, th this is their statement. They, in 1909, they came up with the book of the 12, fun, book, 12 volume book, uh, volumes of the fundamentals. And, and they organized those who were in agreement with that, that they were going to, to say the affirmation of religious authority is holistic and absolute, admitting neither criticism nor reduction. Amen. You know, we believe the word of God the same way. And it, but it's expressed, now be careful, for the collective demand, demand that specific creedal and ethical dictates certain beliefs, you know, my statement of faith, if you will, and, and how, that, uh, how that applies to life, just ethic, ethics, deriving scriptures be publicly recognized and legally enforced. Uh, it, was, it was interesting, as I, I read this, that these fundamentalists, they were trying to get into the presidency. They were changing laws. Their whole view was to, to get the state to, re, to, to force people to accept their interpretation of Scripture. And uh, that is the spirit of Catholicism, you know, or the, that, that, that spirit of using the position of power as opposed to the way of the cross became lost. And there was a reaction to that, and, 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 and it ended up looking bad. You know, the, the monkey scopes trial where they tried to, you know, force evolution to not be taught, and, and they ended up, people saw, saw that, that small-mindedness about them, and, and you had, on the other hand, you know, those who were influenced with modernism, and, and they, 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 you, today you still have your, 
your republic, democratic, liberal, conservative splits along those same lines. Now, there was another reaction to, to the spirit of fundamentalism, the, the abrasiveness of it, uh, the, the dogmaticness of it. And that was, um, a, a, there was some theologians and, and who got together in 1942 and say, you know, we just got to stop dividing the body of Christ over doctrine. It just just feels wrong. We we got a we 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 got a job to do as Christians. We got to go out and and evangelize the world. And and all this arguing over truth is getting in the way of doing what God wants us to do. And so they realized that that you know fundamentalism just you know was not winning people. And so let's let's learn from our errors and react to it by forming a new brand of Christianity called New Evangelicalism. See, we're going to be open-minded. We're not going to be provincial in our thinking. We'll be intellectual. Uh, we'll get uh, our... Theo- our, our uh, uh, instead of having, you know, the, the only theological schools be these um, you know, higher criticism ones, we'll get ones that believe in the Bible as being inerrant and we'll articulate our faith intellectually, make it acceptable to modern, highly educated people and compatible with popular individualistic lifestyles. You know, in other words, rather than resisting the culture, let's, let's become like the people we want to win, to, to make it more appealing, to make it more attractive. And so it was an accommodation, if you will. It was, it was becoming like them. And this had certain implications, you know, to, to how dogmatic they were going to be about truth, because truth just seemed to divide. So, so in their coalition for rival, I mean, Billy Graham would come into a city, he wants to have a crusade, let's win this city for Christ, and so let's get all the churches who are going to be willing to work together, and we have to agree to put aside our differences, of course. All the things that we might differ on are obviously not important, and so we're just going to focus on winning souls for Christ in, in whatever that common denominator of winning souls for Christ means. And so this is what you, you would have to sign if you're part of Coalition for Revival. You'd say, as long as I'm associated with the Coalition for Revival, I will not quarrel with other CFR associates over the following issues. Baptism, communion, Calvinism. Uh, this is, you know, free will, uh, predestination, Arminianism, Christian freedoms, differences such as smoking, dancing, etc., tongues and other activity, modes of worship, and methods of evangelism. These are all, anything we disagree on is not essential. And, and I, I hope you can see you know, the, the problem with that. And they, it worked. It, it, it grew very quickly. Um, they, they made very effective use of mass media. They are t- today. Um, 61 million Americans, you know, are being impacted through the television evangelists. You know, it, my statistics are a bit old here. Uh, 3,500 Christian bookstores, 1.2 billion sales, videos, radio. I mean, I'm sure it's way bigger than that by now. <clears throat> it's been 20 years. And there's a lots of money to be made in this growth industry. And, and, and sometimes that seems to be the motive uh, for, for some, some people in some incident instances. And, and it's grown. There's, you know, the original founding association of evangelicals. There's now 43,000 congregations, 77 denominations, hundreds of independent churches, 43,000 parachurch ministries affecting 27 million people. And, and notice how we're going to independent churches and then parachurch will parachurches is you know where we have a non-denominational ministry where we'll we don't need a church let's all work together in this ministry and we're kind of going in 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 that direction so that's that's kind of the history of, of of where things are and let's let's look a little bit about how this action reaction thing has affected what we believe throughout throughout the century so one big debate, and, and this, is, this is not, uh, you know, abstract, oh, what do they believe in the 4th century? I mean, we've had churches in this denomination that we have lost to this particular issue, so this is relevant. Um, works versus grace. <clears throat> um, like I said, Augustine was reacting to this, this British monk here, and he came up with a statement, you know, that man's predestinated, God's sovereign, and uh, free will is not in the picture as an overreaction. Obviously, Luther picked that up, and not only was he uh, um, drawing on his Augustinian roots, but we can see in Roman Catholicism that there was a lot of 
emphasis on, 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 on what you did, on, on confession and rosary and, and works. You know, there was a lot of works theology there that he wanted to react to and come up with something that was free from all of that, and it was the free grace, but it was an overreaction. Um, Luther, he translated, he did the Bible into the common language, into German, and which was a great service, and, but he wanted to make sure that people interpreted the Bible right way, so he put these big introductions in each book, and in fact, his introduction to Romans is more than half as big as Romans itself, and he felt, uh, you know, he, there's a little, just a little bias there. Romans is really the chief part of the New Testament, the very purest gospel compared to which the book of James is but straw, and you wonder why he would make those kind of comparisons when, until you, you see that the, the verses there in, in James where you know, he says, you see then that how by works man is justified and not by faith only. And certainly the scripture says, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves as the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's, there's two truths here, and, we, we, and the early Christians, the, the first century Christians before Augustine, believed that, uh, <clears throat> that salvation is a gift from God, but that God gives the gift to whom he chooses, and he chooses to give it to those who love and obey him, those who humble themselves. And so that's where our free will is involved, and that's why there's all these scriptures that, that say, believe, humble yourself, that it, giving us instructions that we can follow. You know, so that we've, through reaction, we've lost the original... Uh, faith, at least that's, that's where you can see then fundamentalism and evangelicalism uh, followed suit on those, on those issues. Uh, evangelicalism is very broad since we agree to disagree and there's many exceptions, but you'll, you'll see that, that to be predominantly taught. Um, <clears throat> how does this, what, what are the implications of this? You have a very shallow concept of conversion now because your free will is not involved. You know, this is a free gift. It's just a matter of accepting Christ. And there's, we can't teach, you know, a lot about repentance and changed life and confessions. We just can't expect you to overcome sin because, because of the, the, the shallowness of it. There's a very casual attitude about sin in general. There, a quote from their writings that the church is a mixed society. It's not a community of saints and dedicated persons but a society of sinners at every variety, every level of spiritual uh, development. So that's, that's one, one thing I hope we can discern where, how we got here and, and through what spirit. Um, social activism, I think I've kind of brought up through history so I can go through it fairly quick, but we saw how you know, Constantine Augustine you know, felt they had to quench the heretics with a sword and obviously the Catholics did that throughout history. Then, unfortunately, Luther picked up the same idea. And the fundamentalists were trying to impose publicly and legally. And, and, and that same spirit, you know, in, in us trying to get politically organized. In fact, it's, 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 the evangelicals uh, have what they call the Christian coalition. And their mission is simple. It's to mobilize Christians one precept at a time, one community at a time, until once again we are the head and not the tail and at the top, and rather than at the bottom of our political system. The Christian coalition will be the most powerful political force in America by the end of the decade. I mean, can you discern the spirit behind those words? Um, and that, another point now I'd like to go to is, is the concept of authority, the importance of the visible church and community. We can see, you know, because originally there was a lot of authority, the Pope and it was corrupt and self-serving, there was a lot of reaction to that. And, and we had to go to, to autonomy to get away from this bad authority. And, we had, and, and through enlightenment, we realized, you know, I can figure things out for myself. I don't need to listen to authority. And through secular humanism, you know, again, you know, man is at, at the top. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a very, man is God. And therefore, you know, we don't need anything above me. Um, and this has influenced um, our, our thinking. This is the spirit of the age. And so the evangelicals believe very much in an individual-centered faith, is, is, their, is their quotes. Uh, Jesus proclaimed a direct personal relationship with God with no needing for, for the mediation of religious hierarchy. You know, I can agree with that statement. 
You know, it's true that the, the, the relationship is what's important. It's true that I need, don't need to go through, through people, but, but, but it's an overemphasis and a reaction that leaves out the community of believers, the body of Christ, which is so clearly taught in Scripture. You know, and at an extreme, a leading author, TV speaker, urges to free ourselves from the ecclesiastical captors, you know, the people in church that are holding us captive, you know, watch my TV show instead and send me money and you don't have to go to church. Um, <clears throat> the, the church is no longer the, the center we work, we organize ourselves more effectively in non-denominational parachurch ministries. And we don't have to, there's no accountability there. And, uh, you know, we can see a lot of these, these ministries that have grown to the point where they're eclipsing, in their own words, they're eclipsing traditional or existing churches because we're going to work together without this accountability and community. And what's the implication of this? You know, the autonomy is that every man does what is right in their own eyes, as, as we read in Judges. And, uh, you know, in their own words, they, there's some frustration with that autonomy when they say to argue that the Bible is authoritative, but to be unable to come to anything like agreement on what it says, even with those who share an evangelical commitment, is self-defeating. And, of course, since there's no authority, there can't be discipline, uh, since there's no clear church, you know, communion becomes free and, and, and watered down, and um, we are in danger there as well. Now, evangelicals themselves are starting to realize the, the fruits and consequences of, of, of this compromise. And, for example, Francis Schaeffer has written a book called The Great Evangelical Disaster, in which he deplores the failure of evangelical world to stand for truth as truth. And, and this statement uh, I find very deep. The evangelical church has accommodated to the world spirit of the age. What, what that means is, is the worldliness is not makeup and jewelry and external things. Worldliness is a spirit of the world. It's, it's a way of thinking. It's, 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 it's a spirit. And in, the, in this day and age, there is a spirit out there in this world and because they have a common, they've a compromise with that spirit to win people, they've, they've lost their, tr their stand for truth. Uh, in fact, an early promoter of new evangelicalism, Dr. Harold Linzel, uh, admits it's clear that the evangelicalism is now broader and shallower and becoming more so. Evangelicalism's children are in the process of forsaking the faith of their fathers. Uh, a, a very humbling and uh, honest statement from someone who began it. Now, you might expect me to begin here, to, to end here and say, gee, you know, aren't we glad that we're not there and we're, we're, we're okay? And to be, have this kind of smug, self-satisfied conclusion. And, and that's not at all where I want to go because I don't think that's being honest. I don't think uh, that that's Christian for us to point fingers and that was never the intention of this forum. This point is to to discern spirits, and then to take a look deep and hard at ourselves and see where we are. Um, how are we accommodating to the world spirit of the age or overreacting to it? Now, at this point, this is not drawn from any source. This is products of my own thought processes, and I'm going to open it up uh, very soon for you to give me input uh, to fill in many of the things that I'm sure I'm missing. Uh, but... Uh, you know, if, if I were to do the same sort of analysis on our church, I would say that, uh, you know, out of, the, out of the time of rationalism, Frelich was, was taught in a very rationalistic school of theology, and God called him out of that to a true conversion experience and uh, to, to, to a biblical faith. And there was a time where there was heavy persecution initially by those state churches, and uh, particularly in the, uh, for not bearing arms. We had, uh, since 1890s to 1950s, a lot of our forefathers who, who were suffering for that, and that, and that uh, time of, of, of persecution certainly didn't bode for compromise. And, and I would say, at that time, we needed each other. There was a fear of God. There was a, there was a, a, a fervor of spirit. There was a, a, a bright flame of, of community at that time. 
And uh, even though fundamentalism happened at this time, it really didn't influence us because because we were we were isolated uh, due to you know the close community and uh, and many barriers that were there. But then came along a period of relative ease and, and, and prosperity of security in in our need for God and our need for each other diminished. And and unfortunately, I believe, you know, that did something to to our um, our spirituality and made us vulnerable. I, I, I will always remember um, Brother um, Johnny Tsoik's sermon in Massanetta Springs on, on liberalism versus legalism and uh, how... You know, he, he explained both of them and then brought them to a root of lukewarmness. It was because a heart was lukewarm that they deviated, whether one error or the other. And, and I kind of, so just at this point now, our, our church is no longer immune to the spirit of the agent or immune to the spirit within other churches because, you know, there's not, there's not we don't have, we have less isolation in, in, in our occupation in, in geographic location, in exposure to media influences, we are now, it's, it's unrealistic to think that you're not going to come into contact with other forms of Christianity. That's just not realistic. And that's, so now that we are open to that influence, how has that affected us? And, and here's what I propose, and this is my last slide, and then I'm going to open up the floor to, to discussion. Um, you know, I would say that there's kind of, you know, here's the spirit of evangelicalism, and um, there's 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 an attraction and and repelling that's going on. That uh, you know, at the one hand, there 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 may be a group of people who find the openness, the freedom uh, of evangelicalism attractive, and so they might be quick to abandon outward forms of. Of, of makeup and jewelry and head coverings and things like that as, a, as an initial um, initial step in this direction. Um, and unfortunately, uh, another step that they, they never counted on, that they never anticipated, never desired, but there was also a loss of that sense of community, of close-knitness, of dependence to each other, and, and that when issues came up, there was no reason to... to to, to stick to each other and work things out that uh, we can just kind of scatter. And on the other hand, there was kind of a reaction to, to seeing, wait a minute, there, there may be some who have discerned who says, I see, a, I see here an example of evangelism through compromise. And so in an overreaction to that, that means evangelism is bad. Now, I don't believe there's probably people in this room who believe that, but you know, there are certainly people within our church that I've had conversations with recently that, that have, have actually taken that position, that, that they feel that there's something inherently compromising about evangelism. And that's, that's clearly not true. The Scripture teaches that we need to, to go into the world, we need to share our faith, we need to be ready to give an answer, that we need to have a, a burden for the lost, that the fields are white and hard, we need to be praying. That's clearly there, and, and, and yet... Through this overreaction, uh, outreach and evangelism has become suspect, and it's, as an overreaction, also there's been certain bad experiences where you know we've seen perhaps those who were being attracted to evangel evangelicalism taking on doing certain things like having prayer meetings or or having Bible personal Bible studies in their home and 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 getting into and because there was already probably some polarization and they're, 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 they wanted some autonomy in doing this, you know, this may have ended up creating a schism or going in a direction, those group of people going in the wrong direction. And then there's an overreaction saying, ah, therefore, prayer meetings and Bible studies and things like that are wrong. And, and we, we um, condemn, again, the activity as opposed to discerning the spirit. Um, and unfortunately, you know, on the other hand, we've seen things end not only with, with outward form, even though there's clear doctrine about things like head covering, but abandonment of even 
deeper doctrines such as salvation, uh, um, that by grace alone and, and, and predestination and Calvinism, and we know how, how these truly uh, fundamental doctrinal issues have, have come in and, and, and there have been those who have been affected and even left over those things. So that's kind of, uh, you kind of have one, one hand of, of, a, of, of a pulling towards an accommodation towards the spirit, another one where there's reactivity, but just as in other cases in history, there's, there's, uh, there's a loss of vision. And uh, because your vision is not on what God wants us to do, it's on not being like that person over there. <clears throat> and now, my blank slide. Um, and uh, I would like us to, to take the time to, to say, you know, do we see some truth in this? Do we, how do we feel this? Where do we, what does this mean for us? Where should we go from here? I do not, I do not want any bitterness or any any accusations of any other any person outside of this room or any acrimony here. That's that's not going to help us. Uh, we don't want any reactivity going on here. We want to 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 look within ourselves and to be honest before God and say, what does this mean for us, and, and where do we want to where do we want to go from here? Is there a, there's no, I guess, I'll, I'll repeat any comments that are made to get them on the tape. Yes, Brother Fred. You mentioned a term that I think is really important in this, and this is discernment. Every influence that every congregation or every individual uh, will come up against needs to be in line with the Holy Spirit giving the power to discern that influence. And uh, you've done a lot of homework here, which has been excellent in showing us trends. There won't be any one-word answers or one-sentence responses to this course that we can come up with because it's so complex. Mm -hmm. But uh, when we are in line with truth ourselves by personal revival and we find ourselves close to the Lord as a denomination, as individuals, the error will show themselves on all sides of the spectrum. We can't get into an extreme of no evangelism because the Holy Spirit won't let us. The fields are white for harvest, and if we're in tune with Him, we will see them. On the flip side, if we're drifting in another doctrine, again, the Holy Spirit won't let us because God is sovereign through the ages, and He will hold His feet. And so our, our strongest anchor in all of this is to be a people who hunger for Him, hunger for revival, Love Him with all of our heart. And then we will be able to discern some of the good out there, some of the bad. Not every influence out there, of course, is bad. Mm -hmm. One reaction could be, no books. We cannot touch any book out there except for what we publish. Mm -hmm. You used David Burkhardt's book, right? There's some discernment there on your part that said, he saw the value of the early church and the early fathers and their writings. So again, we have to be discerning in what material we allow. And so God is going to hold us. And it's going to be a wonderful thing. And I really believe that you're identifying a, a powerful concept here or a trend that's been a really great thing to, to show. Praise the Lord for that. Let's, let's hang on to the Lord for discernment. So, so I don't need to repeat that comment? Take, excellent. It would be a little bit hard for me to summarize that. Thank you very much, <laughs> Brother Fred, for, for that point of our need to get back in tune with the Spirit and uh, that being our source. Um, an interesting comment about, about the early church. Um, I think we have to, in that, there's a lot of discernment. I heard a comment before that the early church fathers had basically had the same amount of deviation that you would find in a Christian bookstore. Um, mm -hmm. There was a lot, like, a lot of people don't know Oregon, mm -hmm. which people quote a lot with baptized as an infant. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of those. Um, so I think we need to be careful in a sense. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily see a true pattern of what the apostles taught, even mm -hmm. in them. It was mm -hmm. already a lot of deviation, but there are a lot of good things, so it doesn't mean we should completely throw them out. Just mm -hmm. we do need to, I don't think it's proper to interpret the scriptures through them, but rather inter interpret them through the scriptures. Mm -hmm.
Very good point. Thank you. We, we shouldn't put any Christian on a pedestal, even the early church. And we need to go through scriptures. I agree. Um, I think, like, I really appreciate everything. I think in our church, um, you know, we tend to react as well. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's a reaction to um, you know, some of the bad things we've seen. For example, like, uh, you know, we've seen maybe some church members who have done something wrong and they were maybe separated from the church, and, but they repented that they were not received back, or, you know, hard feelings, or I don't know what. And so there's a reaction to go more towards the evangelical side of, well, we should just be you know, kind of emotional, more loving. you know, and that kind of thing. And, but, okay, so my question is, do you think, does anyone here think, that the Bible alone is enough for us to base our church on? I mean, you know, all of these other things had assumptions, ways of interpreting the Bible that they carried, um, <coughs> they carried along with us. So do we. You know, so I think, you know, I'm just like trying to figure out what we should base, you know, our view of the church, salvation, all those things on. I mean, obviously it's the Bible, right? right? But I mean, is the, can we build a church that's pleasing to God just from the Bible? And his guidance. Um, yeah, well, that, I think that, that's a good qualification that you put in there, right? Obviously, the Bible alone, that's what Martin Luther you know, promoted, right? Sola Scriptura. But right? what you say is different from what you, you know, he as well had assumptions that he brought Right. What so, was the question, Jesus? The question is, um, it, is the Bible... Alone, can we say that the Bible is all that we need to base things on? Or is there something we need in addition to that because many people take the Bible and come to different conclusions? What do we need with the Bible to make sure we're on the right track? I believe we need the Bible is Holy Spirit. That's all. Mm-hmm. Any other comments on that? And to pray for discernment. Mm-hmm. The Bible is spirit. The word is spirit. As, as a and So so our problem is not that the Bible isn't enough or that the Holy Spirit will not guide us. The problem is really our preconceived notions, our own hardness of our heart, our own unwillingness to really let go of certain things that we're comfortable with and to follow the Bible in its in, in total sincerity. I, I um, in studying a lot of this stuff, um, have come to a conclusion when, when man studies the Bible, um, there's two, two methods, exegesis and, and uh, eisegesis. And exegesis is taking out of the Bible what's in there Jesus is putting into the Bible what you think mm-hmm. and that's where we have um, really fallen short as Christianity as general as a whole but we try to because for example Augustine uh, and, and the Catholic Church didn't know what will happen to certain souls when they die and what their spiritual state was they came up with the idea of purgatory and say, well, it doesn't make sense to us. Let's put something there that will make us feel good about what we believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this is where doctrines are built on. When things don't make sense to me, I'll put something in that gap to make us feel good about ourselves. This is where universalism came about. Mm-hmm. You know, what happens to people that, that died without Christ? Surely God wouldn't leave them in hell forever. Mm-hmm. And so there was this movement with the Jehovah Witnesses and the Seventh-day Adventists and so forth, there is no help. And it's because what we would like to see God do, instead of saying, what did God say? So it sounds like, again, that it's, it's, it's our own, I'll get to your comment next, Brother Mark, it's, it's our own um, filter that, that we, we have a problem with this, or we would like to see this, and that we're not truly letting the Scripture speak in accommodating ourselves to the scripture, but that we have, we have a, a bit of an agenda because we're, we're uncomfortable with 
God being saying in certain things that just don't fit the way we feel. Brother Mark, you're going to ask me something. I think Aaron's question is really exciting. Um, it, the dynamic that is uh, interesting to me and that I do not have the answer to it is if the Bible alone, we would put the Bible in a glass box and a light on it and it would, it would not come out of that box at all. We would look at it and but it gets dynamic when the word comes out and enters my heart and your heart and, and, and starts changing my thinking and my attitudes and, and my life. That's where the dynamic of all this other stuff comes in. And I, I don't have the answer on that vein. Of, uh, that's where we all start getting a little confused, I think. David? Um, in Deuteronomy 29.29, there's an interesting verse that says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do the works of the law. Okay, now that's talking about the law, but I think if you look at the principles there, it's a very interesting principle. Man likes to deal with the little nitty-gritty, formulate everything. That's just for whatever reason, uh, the the Tower of Babel, we're going to build something to reach God. We're going to, man always has this energy to do the things he's not supposed to. And I think the principle in this verse is there are plenty of things that are written about in the Bible that are for us to do. And if we do them, they will take up more than 100% of our time. And we don't need to have a pharisaical school to discern or try and come up with all the things that are what are classified as a that. Let's do the camels. Good. So, so I think what I'm, I'm understanding is, is that we need to have the humility to say, I don't know, to certain things in Scripture and to leave it as such in God's hands. And uh, the other thing I'm, I'm hearing here is that the Word is not just marks on a page. It needs to be living and breathing, and that's why Jesus came down from heaven as, as the Word in flesh, and that we have that responsibility to, to live that here that the word in flesh is actually not any one of us, but the church collectively. I really appreciate your historical overview. And, and you know, we were talking a little bit about the filters in our own eyes. And I think, at least personally, as we look through history of these movements, this reaction to, um, um, to certain movements, um, by looking at how other people reacted to it, I sometimes see in my own self, oh, yes, OK, so I, I understand why maybe I'm thinking this way, or I see in our own congregation or in our own denomination that there's a lot of similarities. I mean, we're all human, and to think that we're not going to um, react in the same way historically as other people are reacting is a little bit naive. And uh, that's why I really appreciate your uh, historical outline and seeing how these forces over time have worked and then bringing that practically to us. Um, I think it's really helpful. Thank you. There was another comment. <clears throat> the reason I say that we need Bible and Holy Spirit is because Holy Spirit will reveal us and give us understanding and revelation of what Bible says. Another thing, if we don't have a Holy Spirit, uh, I mean, if we go by the Spirit, we will say, well, I want to go everywhere my Spirit told me. Mm -hmm. But that's why we have a word of God to agree. You remember when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, eyes never saw it, ears never heard it, uh, hearts never desired these things. But God revealed to us with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So Spirit is the guide, agreeing with the Word of God. Word of God is not the Holy Spirit, but Holy Spirit is part of the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Excellent. So that we need to not confuse the Spirit with our feelings, which some people do sometimes, but to, to truly discern. But Ron? Yeah, I would just like to agree with what he said. I, actually, I can't believe we're even having this discussion. Um, look how many false religions have popped up over the centuries just because a man felt he was inspired by the Spirit, but it didn't coincide with the Word of God. Mormonism, uh, right. you know, right. any other things. Right. I'd like to put a qualification here as far as <clears throat> many, many people perhaps um, uh, abandon the church because they hear somebody say something. Mm. and say, this is what the church believes. Mm -hmm. um, many statements are made which are not supported by the leadership. Mm -hmm. 
you're going to find that in every single denomination. There's going to be some quirks here and there where, where people are going to say things that do not represent the official stand of the church. That's their own uh, concoction. And I want to reemphasize that, that if, if you do that, you're not giving the, 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 the leadership a fair chance. You're not giving the teachers and what we profess in our statement of faith a fair chance. You're basing it on what somebody else said. Okay, thank you. careful not to compromise the truth that's already been given to us. And that, uh, as Brother Henry Michel said, that, uh, you know, we have, he said, we have the greatest thing on this earth, that uh, we have so much light given to us. And, and now I can see a lot of truth to that, but, you know, are we maintaining that? Go ahead. I'm not ever wanting to imply that uh, we cannot learn things from other Christians, that we have a monopoly on the truth, that, uh, uh, that we should, uh, should, should that, that there's no value in other Christians. But, um, and, and so I can see what you're saying, that you can learn a lot from them. And uh, I would encourage you also to, to, to as you say, discernment is, a, is, is, is the key. And, so, and sometimes it's hard for us in isolation to, to, to maintain. I mean, I remember being in college and, and, and going through exactly what you said, that, you know, a, a friend of mine who was in ancient Greek class with me, you know, and loved the Lord, and, you know, we're talking, and you believe that too? Great, 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 great. And then how could you not believe, how could you believe eternal security? I mean, well, this verse, and he interprets it this way, and, and, and all of a sudden, well, how can you be such a vibrant person who obviously loves God, and yet you believe a fundamental doctrine differently. And, and, and I agree that that, you know, that certainly makes me search the scriptures. But I would also encourage you, you know, to, to also find some friendship and accountability within the Apostolic Christian Church because it, it is a vulnerable position to be in. And, and you want to have, make sure that uh, you, you have that, that connection there to, to, to main, maintain the, 
that loyalty and, and, and uh, discernment. I, I realize I'm over 11.30, and I know some people may have to go and get, uh, get their children and things like that, so feel free to leave if, if you need to. I, but if some people want to stay behind and just still discuss things, I want to allow for that too. So, uh, Brother Robert? One of your slides talked about a loss of a close community. And uh, I, would, I would think that within our, our church, it's so important to, uh, to have that close community because there'll be times when we really uh, need to pray with a close Christian friend. And uh, I'd like to encourage all of us here in this, in this room to take the opportunity now that we're here at camp to to really get to, to know one another. It would be a shame if we went the whole week without talking more than five minutes to any one person and uh, without ever going deeper than just sharing the weather. And I think, you know, many of are good at doing that and good at getting deeper. And those of us that aren't should take the initiative to, to uh, form Closer relationships and and have to have more more support uh, from our own our own church our own uh, brothers and sisters. Excellent point, Brother Robert. That uh, we have that that the relationships are really up to us to, to nurture and build within the fellowship, and uh, that that we we might sometimes think the grass is greener elsewhere and things are exciting and new, but. But really, if we if we have that that love and bond here, this is this is where God has kind of given us um, a, a, a higher responsibility. These are the people that that God's going to hold me accountable for, and, and so I have a higher need to 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 be loyal and to build up this fellowship. And it's going to take effort to get out of my comfort zone and to get involved in people's lives, and it's going to take sacrifice. But you know. That, that's uh, why we're, we're losing it when we get too complacent. Excellent point. I guess uh, we're probably running out of time. So um, I'd like to thank everybody for their participation. And uh, hopefully we can continue to discuss this over the lunch table.